This is James Lorenz, and you're listening to the Walter Paisley Podcast. This is James Lorenz, and you are watching the Walter Paisley Show. No, you're watching Walter Paisley. This is James Lorenz. You are watching the Walter Payton Show, where he breaks the yards uh, record for the Chicago Bears. Oh, no, that's not the This is the Dick Williams program. Beautiful. I'm going to keep all of that. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you live from Nilbong Manor Studios, our music is by Jonathan Harmon, and I am your host, Dylan Rorick. Today's part two with Joe Castro, and it it's just a great talk. I really enjoy talking to him. He's easily been one of my favorites that I've spoken to. Um, it's oddly inspiring, just listening to him talk about coming as a teenager to L.A., meeting all these wonderful people, getting to visit the Acker Mansion, the support he received from people like Brick Stevens and uh, Fred and, and uh, Forrest Ackerman. It's just a great talk. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite episodes that I've done so far. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did doing it. Uh, here he comes, Joe Castro, part two. When I'm feeling fun, I, I get a little, uh, like, an El- like an Elmer's glue bottle, uh-huh. and I will I'll empty it out, and I'll, I'll put some of his blood formula in, in it and take it to set and use it, because it How still works cool. very well sometimes yeah. for, for on camera. And, uh, you know, I will uh, bless the set with it and uh, this kind of thing. <laughs> before I do an effect, but uh, Very cool. yeah, yeah, it's one of my, one of my prized possessions is having uh, the original blood piece, blood formula. Oh, cool. So obviously effects is like where your, I think your heart really kind of was for the most part, but then you got into directing as well. And uh, we're going back now to the late nineties with ceremony, which is an ambitious film, uh, especially for a first time feature for you to direct. We talked about, you know, your first time going on set as an effects guy. What was it like the first time you're going on set and you're the man? That's a great question. You know, um, back in the day, in, the, in the, 1993 is when I shot that film. Mm-hmm. 1993. And um, uh, that movie was shot on 35 millimeter Panavision, which is very different than what we do today. Most, most, you know, it was, it was a true bad boys club to make a feature length motion picture back in the in the early 90s mm-hmm. you had to have you had to have real money and you had to have access to specific things like a film camera and lenses and um film developing and you had to have a place to actually store the film right you just leave it out in your garage yeah and all that stuff costs money mm-hmm. and um you know you had to have technicians that actually knew how to use this stuff it was a, a real craft. And, uh, yeah. you know, the first time uh, I went on set for ceremony, we shot it in the beach at the beach in Santa Maria, California, which is the exact same location where they shot the original Ten Commandments. Oh, and, cool. And, and, and there are actually pieces of the set still buried there on the sand. And when we went there, we weren't supposed to film there. It's actually a, a private uh, uh, endangered species uh okay. reserve now okay and, and so my dp he was my one of my best he still is one of my best friends at the time his name is steve gainer we drove up to santa maria california one weekend and went to the we went to go check out this 
this this this property to see if we could shoot there and there was a guard at the gate of the uh, of the of the reservation of the of the of the reserve and uh we said uh, we wanted to make a film there and we would pay him if he let us in for the day and so we we, we i think we paid him like 200 dollars, and he let us <laughs> trek like 20 people with like panavision cameras and lenses and film stock and ice coolers and we even i think we even bought like a 17 foot ladder uh, uh into this wildlife reserve and shot the opening of the film and you know we were bad boys you know it was it was it mm-hmm. was it was still guerrilla filmmaking yeah you know, it, it, yeah though and um all that film stock came from um uh the short ends uh uh department at Param- paramount pictures has had a, a photo developing lab and they mm-hmm. would throw out all their short ends. All the shorts, certain, and you could grab them. After, nice. after a certain date. After, after, they would keep it in the fridge, and then after a certain date, they'd have to throw them out. Mm-hmm. And instead of just throwing them away, Steve would bring them home and put them in his fridge. So we literally made cool. we got like, you know, $75,000 worth of uh, 35 millimeter film stock for free through, uh, through thank you, Paramount Pictures. I would love to work with them. How Pictures, cool. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's, that's where all funny. the money, money went for the film was the film developing and transfer, but we made that movie for like pennies on the dollar, basically. Yeah. What a fascinating behind the scenes factoid though. That's kind of cool. I didn't, yeah. I, it reminds me, I, I worked in theater here uh, professionally for many years and the big Lork theater, whenever it was dumpster day for them, all of us little poor artists would just collect around the dumpster and wait for them to dump. And then we'd all dive in and get new sets. <laughs> you, you know all that stuff is still good and still if it's usable yeah. it's usable right mm-hmm. yeah how but cool. i guess but i guess you know it, it wasn't it wasn't um realistic for a major studio to risk shooting like a half a day's worth of footage sure. on film if it was a short end you know just in case there was something wrong with it yeah. right yeah well that movie also featured forrest ackerman forrest which ackerman. of course we we got to talk about your experience with him I'm assuming yeah. you met when you won the contest through Famous Monsters of Film Land. I did. I met Forey when I went the, the, mm-hmm. the. It was actually Monsterland magazine, which was oh Monsterland, which, okay, which, yeah. which was a which was a uh, like a shoot offshoot of Famous yeah. Monsters, yeah. And then, okay. and then and then and then once um, I came out and, and won the contest and met with Forey and got to go to the Acker Mansion and met Brink and even met Dave Dakota at that time. Oh, cool. Dave Dakota, Ken Hall, Brink Stevens, Sabin Gray. And uh, James Van Heist, who was the the editor in chief of, of of Monsterland at the time, yeah. we all met at Sabin's house in West Hollywood, where we took pictures with Brink because uh, she was going to be the spokesperson for Monsterland uh-huh. as Evola. And um, I got to tell a funny story. Okay, so so okay. so I'm I'm 16 years old or 15 years old coming out to LA, and of course I had to have for uh, adult guardian go with me, even though I didn't want anybody to go with me because sure. my it was going to have to be my mother and. Uh, I just put it this way. I don't talk to my mother anymore. But, okay. but so she's a Debbie Downer, right? She was going to be a okay. my Debbie Downer. I didn't want, want 15 years old. I did not want her to go with me to Hollywood, California. Yeah. And uh, so we go to the house and um, we're going to take pictures with me and Brink. And, and then I asked if I could use the restroom and they said, sure, it's right over there. Downstairs is this big house in the middle of West Hollywood. West yeah. Hollywood is the, is the game Mecca of. Uh, right. LA. <laughs> right. And um, so I go into the bathroom and I go and open the bathroom door and I go in and, you know, I'm there doing my thing and I look up and uh, literally the entire bathroom is um, wallpapered and collaged, like deck, like collaged with naked men with hard-ons. Like <laughs> this is wall-to-wall naked men with hard-ons. Ah! And, um, and then 
Okay, so again, I go back out. I go back out to the to the to the uh, to the photo shoot, and uh, my mother says, "Where's the bathroom?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, she's gonna have to go to shower." That was there, mother. Uh, uh, Debbie Downer. Anyways, so how'd, then, that, how'd that go over with mom? She didn't say nothing. She didn't say nothing. She's silent. You know, if we don't talk about it, we, it's, it's not real, right? It's, you know, it doesn't 70s, happen right? exactly. We don't talk yeah. about it. Didn't happen. Okay. You don't talk, you don't talk about your, your. You don't talk about it. It didn't happen. Keep it quiet in the family. Anyways. <laughs> So when we're leaving the house, when we're leaving the house, there I met Ken Hall, who wrote and wrote mm -hmm. Nightmare Sisters and yeah. uh, uh, the original original uh, Puppet Master, mm -hmm. uh, 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 Bring Stevens, obviously, everybody yeah. uh, um, Saban Gray, who did was the was worked in the magazine too with Monsterland, and James Van Heys, and uh, who was uh, Dave Dakota with uh, Creepazoids and yeah, all of them Nightmare Sisters. And as I'm leaving, we're leaving the house and I, uh, we're walking and I turn back and look away goodbye to everybody. And they're like, literally like all at the door, like Scooby-Doo with their heads out. And they're like, goodbye, Joey. We'll see you soon. And they all knew I was gay. Of course I wasn't out at the time. And, uh, sure enough, I came back and was able to be friends with all of them. And all, That's all of them are great. still in my life. And how uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. 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 How very cool, yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. I'll never forget that. That I would imagine that's, <laughs> I mean, to to be 15 to probably know in your heart that you're gay but not be out yeah but you know there's something different about you yeah to walk into a house filled with people who just get you yeah, immediately, it's, it's, it, immediately there's no judgment yeah there's, and they could, it's just this right, is and, who and, you are welcome yeah and they knew that there was this thing between my they they, they knew you know they knew mm -hmm. they could see the dynamic between my mother and i yeah and they knew and they, but just showered me with love anyways that's and, wonderful um, how and cool. all of them are, are were are amazing you know dave dakota ken brink sabin james mm -hmm. all of these people are still amazing influences in my life i love them and uh um yeah i got uh you know you know fun fact I did. I, I, you know, I grew up near San Antonio, but on a goat ranch out in Halotus, Texas. Mm -hmm. And and I, I like to tell this. Most people don't realize how small Halotus, Texas, really is. The town was so small, I didn't even know there was another gay person on the planet until I saw Boy George sing "Do You Really Want to Hit Me" on MTV. <laughs> like that's how small my world was, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but uh, and my friend, my 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 my, my cousin Eddie Perez. Uh, recorded it on a movie uh he gave me a vhs of a movie that i wanted to see mm -hmm. and he said watch it all the way in the end past the credits show i put something on there for you and that was the the the, the, the music video. i didn't even, I, I didn't even know who poor george was or anything and you know and he put that video on there for me to sing how very and, cool yeah, yeah 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 it's that it's that quiet support that yeah. means the most i think for a lot of people that's man what a great story yeah. <laughs> this is this is boning up to be probably the most inspirational episode i've done with oh, anybody that's saying. just great there's so many thank nice you, things you. that happen um i i have to ask as we're just talking about people you've met there's a great picture of you standing next to the troll that was designed and built by john carl beekler who i uh that's my god i love him i i just love every i got to meet him at a convention about three months before he passed so i was able to at least meet him and and chat fascinating man what was your experience with him yeah yeah john was uh an amazing inspiration to so many artists all over the world as well and uh you know i, I met him uh at his shop uh uh when i won the contest mm -hmm. and um uh just uh you know took me by the hand and said come over here let me show you something and uh 
you know, and uh, he was just very um, open and 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 humble about sharing anything that he could at that moment with me. Mm -hmm. I remember he had like all these foam pieces of um, the trolls because they were getting ready to do Troll Two. I'm not Troll Two. Um, Ghoulies Two. Ghoulies Two. Ghoulies. Yeah. Okay. They, they, they had the big uh, aquatic ghoulie suit, mm -hmm. the big one that walks around in the climax yeah. of the film. They had that, and they were working on. It. I think I think Ken, Ken Hall was there that day working. Oh, cool! Or, 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 or maybe it was Cleve, Cleve, or or maybe it was both them. Cleve and Ken were there working on that suit at okay. the time. And um, John had uh, these uh, foam latex runs of the ghoulies' faces, the little puppet ones, kind of like you know you had five of the aquatic ghoulie here, and then you know yeah. three of the other one here. And uh, I picked up one, and he, well, he said, "Here, feel it, you know, touch it." And I, I felt it and I touched it and I said, can I keep it? <laughs> yeah, can I keep it? And he said, not that one, but you can keep this one. And it was like one that was like not perfect. Uh -huh. I was like, thank you so much. How cool. How Dude, cool. I, this one you can keep. So, uh, you know, just like any kid, right? Can I keep yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, uh, you know, he's just amazing. You know? Yeah. When you... It's so rare sometimes for, especially as a teenager, to and I and I've talked to so many people on this on this show where they meet these people, but they're not really aware of who they're meeting at the time. And it's it's down the line they look back and go, "Oh my God, I was with that person." And and what it, you seem to have always kind of been aware of the shadow you're standing in and what they have done to to get you to where you are now is am i reading that right well i i think that at the time i realized that these people were giving something to me that i could not get anywhere else and that was what made it so precious like where else am i going to get this kind of support information skill detail and so I was like a sponge picking it up, you know. Yeah. I'm sure that there were times when, like any young person, you know, overzealous, maybe some self-righteousness there. Sure. Yes, give me, give me this kind of thing. But ultimately, there was a point in my career where I realized as I move forward that I will give away what was so freely given to me. And I will speak of these people only in a positive light moving forward in any way whenever their name is brought up. You know, and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's like a, one of the problems. Uh, literally 29 days before Herschel passed away, I don't know what compelled me to do this, but I just wrote this beautiful email to him, telling him, well, I thought it was beautiful. I don't know. <laughs> I wrote this email to him, explaining to him I, that I wanted him to know. First of all, if I had ever done or said anything mm -hmm. that was in any way offensive to him that was my intention if there's anything i could ever do to make it right for him to please tell me is what i said to him mm -hmm. you, and I'm, at, I'm saying this now because i want you to know from now till the day i die i will always talk about you and, and your name will be be praised and, and be mentioned in, in the most positive light and i will always remind everybody of what you've done for us all and he was just he, I, I think he was kind of speechless he said i don't know what to say but I made it made his day, but he was already ill at the time. I did mm -hmm. not know it. I spoke to him on the phone. He sounded different, but I didn't know he was ill at the time. It wasn't 29 days later, but so kind of to answer your question, it it takes what it takes to get to a place where sure. you you can appreciate more of what these 
men and women are doing for you. Like Brink has been like the most amazing inspiration influence in my life. And um, uh, she's seen me through my good times and my bad times. But she's known me for so long. She's known me since I was 15. I was going to say. Uh, yeah. And, but she, she's always been a constant positive influence in my life. And uh, cool. Always pointing me in the right direction. So cool. Yeah. She's amazing. I, I'm. I've been trying to get her on this show for a okay. while now. So okay. Okay. I'm still left. If you have a good time, feel free to drop it to her. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's beautiful that you took the time to do that. I think that's an important thing to do. If people are positive influences in your life, let them know because they're not going to be there when when you really want them to know. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it, it may be too late one day, and it yeah, just it always it, it will be. It always yeah, it, is going to be. <laughs> it was Do just it a god shot. It. Yeah, it was just yeah. a god shot. The twenty nine days before he passed away, that I just decided to write him an email out of the blue and tell him that. So how good? He, well, good for you for taking the time to do that and show that vulnerability too. That's just yeah. a wonderful thing. Um, I mean, geez, we're all over the place. I know that's kind of how I, I do these. I was going to okay. ask. I so I for about four years in high school, I was certain I was going to be an effects artist. I just don't have the artistic talent for it, but I tried really hard. Like me, when you were a kid, was your house just like litter? My mom called it the finger finding years because she'd be wandering through the house sweeping and then there'd be a finger on the floor or an arm or something that I had built laying around. Was your house kind of like that? You know, that's a great question. I just in on the on on that note, I can say things like this. Um, my parents allowed me to work on the living room floor in front of the fireplace. We had like a linoleum tile mm-hmm. uh, in our in our living room, and um, you know, I I did many projects there on the living room floor, and um, you know, I, of course, I put newspaper down, and like sure. the latex would go through the newspaper or the. Polyphone would go through the newspaper or the paint would go through the newspaper. And it'd stink. It'd probably it's just stink. stink. Yeah. Do you, do you talk <laughs> about ammonia? I, 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 I would cook foam latex in our oven. Of course, everybody would have to leave the house. I We, we didn't realize how toxic it was at yeah. the time. But, you know, and then, I, and of course, it was a gas stove, which meant it ran very hot. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the foam that was on the outside would always burn. This right. kind of thing. So we'd have, like, burnt rubber in your house, basically. Um, but uh, if you went, uh, we had counters, countertops, and we had um, uh, like a like a bar mm-hmm. that, that you could sit at right right in by the kitchen. And if you went and just looked underneath the bar, there was um, where I had wiped my hands all through the years <laughs> from like Elmer's glue and tempera paint, and all of it was wiped underneath there. So memories, it's a little yeah. memory quilt <laughs> there. How fun! Yeah, that was. Um... I remember the first time I bought liquid latex. That was an eye-opening day for me because I opened it and about knocked me out. You know, that's that ammonia you know, smell like hits. <laughs> well, I I had um, another effects artist in here, Greg McDougal. I don't know if you know his name or not, um, but I actually reached out to him before I talked to you to see if you guys knew each other to see if I could get some stories. But um, he knew your name definitely in some of your work. Um, and And something we talked about was that that fine line between makeup and special effects makeup and special effects there there are three very different disciplines that are just separated by a a centimeter Mm -hmm. and we as we talked about that i just kind of like to get your your take on that difference there yeah yeah that's a great uh, topic i personally like to think of myself as a special effects artist 
that uses makeup products to do their special effects work. Mm-hmm. I'm not really a special effects makeup artist, mm-hmm. even though I do do prosthetics and stuff like this on people's faces. But that uh, 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 the stuff I do goes slightly beyond what right. a normal makeup effects artist will do. In fact, most makeup effects artists will look at my work and say, no, 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 you can't do that. No, 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 you can't put that on that person. No, 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 you can't use that. And the <laughs> truth is they just, I've been doing this for 40 years. I know exactly what yeah. to do. And, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, no, so I, I'm basically, I'm a special effects artist. I'm a, I'm actually a visual effects supervisor. Mm-hmm. People hire me to come in and say, this is how you should execute this. This is your money shot. This is the angle you should shoot it from in order to get the correct, the most bang for your buck, the, mm-hmm. the big money shot, you know, things, simple things like, most people don't realize that, but if you have a special effect happening in a film and something is moving through the frame, like somebody's being decapitated mm-hmm. or um, a werewolf transformation is happening and mm-hmm. the face is pushing forward or something similar to this, if there's movement happening with the effect, mm-hmm. the camera should be tripoded. It should not be handheld because if it's handheld and it's moving, you miss the movement. You could kill the gag. Yeah. yeah people Just... don't realize that. It's simple mm-hmm. things like that. And you know, a lot of people these days, a lot of people, a lot of directors right now, they believe they know how to shoot practical effects, but they don't. If you don't know what you're doing, if or if you don't, you will make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have somebody there on set to tell you what the mistake is the next time, you will make a whole new set of mistakes that you never yeah. understood. So it's just that way. I mean, it's even difficult for me, and I've been doing this for 40 years to get it right mm-hmm. every time. So you can only imagine what it's like for a director who doesn't really have experience working with practical effects. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, um, well, I forget what the question was again. But, well, oh, I, the, difference I, between, I, the difference between practical but it uh, actually, effect and makeup and, and, and yeah, yeah. And that, and, but it leads to actually where my next question was going to go anyway, because it's something else Greg and I discussed. And that's those moments. You're on set. And no matter how much planning you do, it doesn't matter how well you've storyboarded, how well everything is laid out. There's always variables. And on the day of those variables come in and just fuck up the whole process. And so, you know, setting up a single shot on a normal day takes forever. Anyway, you've got your lighting, you've got your DP fighting with the lighting guy and the gaffers and the director's fighting with the DP. They, he wants one intent with the light. The DP wants another intent with the light. And then the FX guy comes in and goes, if you light it like that, the gag's going to be given up. We got to, you know, so you, when you're, I'm sure in pre-production, everything you think gets hammered out, but when it's day of, and you're just trying to get the shot off, how do you personally, how do you manage that when you're dealing with all these disparate personalities and different yeah. jobs? Everybody thinks their job's the most important. Yeah. How do you make it work cohesively? Well, well there's only really two things you can do. You can, you, 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 you can, well, you, maybe there's three. Uh, but there's only really two. Pro- is the two third pro- one throwing fists? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, 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 the third one is the unprofessional thing to do. <laughs> there's the, the only two things you can do. One, you can explain in cl- clearly exactly what the needs are mm-hmm. for, for you to accomplish what it is that you plan for. And then there's two, allowing the director to do exactly what he wants. Right. That's it. There's only two things. Mm-hmm. Because if you force your will on the director, there will be trouble. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and and ultimately, it's not your vision, anyways. It's right. not yours. I'm not there to be. Uh, 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 that's another thing. When 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 special effects makeup artists are starting off, and they're like in their like early twenties to like mid to late thirties, 
they, 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 they seem to believe that they're the star and they're not. They are yeah. an instrument of the director. And what I do as a special effects and visual effects supervisor is my job is to go into the mind of the director and extract what he sees or what they see or what she sees. So that way I can produce it in a physical form and put it in front of their camera. That's, that's mm -hmm. all, that's all my job is whatever they want to do with it at that point, it's up to them. You know, unless I have some sort of written agreement that says otherwise, that's my job. My job is to make my boss look cool. And by making my boss look cool, if that means doing my job and giving them what he needs. And that's all there is to it. You know? Yeah. So be professional. Be professional. <laughs> yeah. Explain yourself the best of your ability and then allow the director to do it their way. You want to throw a temper tantrum and get your own way. Uh, 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 you may find out very quickly that um, it wasn't the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, th there's been, of course, there's always the exception. There's always the exception. Uh, but ultimately, I found it works best uh, to be a team player. Yeah. 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 That was essentially Greg's answer, too. It's like, you know, the, sometimes there's a hill you're going to die on. But for the most part, it's let's just get the shot done. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. gotta, we got more to do today. So yeah. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. I, and it's, I, I don't think enough people appreciate how hard it is to make a movie. It's it, not so much hard as time consuming. It it's long days of really, really boring stuff until actions called and then it's 15 yeah. seconds of something and then you cut and then you set up for the next one <laughs> so yeah. it's a lot of that so it can i'm sure it can get really wearing hour 12 hits and uh because it's a non-union set they're just going to keep going <laughs> you're just uh i just want to go eat let's get first <laughs> craft services um so i i imagine when those tensions are really running thin now talking to you as a director having been on both sides of those those things as a director when you're in those situations what's what do you do how do you cool heads okay yeah well you know i mean i i understand the whole thing about just going till you get the shot done you know or get, getting the day done mm -hmm. and i still encounter that every so often but um ultimately the director and the producers need to ask permission from the cast from the cast and crew to do that mm -hmm. that is the professional thing to do you don't just yeah. assume, you don't just assume they're going to do it and then just you know i mean some people do some people do they do that yeah. but that's but that's not the way to do it right you actually you literally the the producer or the first ad needs to say um the director would like to know if we can go an extra hour or two tonight because we're going to go over and you know of course they're going to say yes mm -hmm. but to ask permission don't just assume that 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 that's that's the way to do it and uh you know sometimes you just gotta you know uh maybe hopefully see that there's a there's a silver lining to 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 doing it longer uh, or you be on set longer without uh having any expectation and maybe there's some sort of silver lining that'll happen but ultimately yeah. you know just be as professional you can and be open with your with your cast and crew about stuff like that but i'm I, sure I've, the... been, I've been fortunate i haven't been on too many sets where they abuse that but Good. i have been on a couple of them yeah yeah it's i'm sure budget comes into play for a lot of them the lower the budget the you know probably the the more willing you are to pitch in and and keep it going because you know we're all working on the same team here whereas the higher budget films i think in my experience on the few films i've worked on i always preferred the lower budget because it was more of a team effort it felt like at all times mm. 
Yeah, I think I think it's been uh, I think it's been a, 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 a cornucopia of different experiences when it comes to that. I'm some mm-hmm. yeah, I've worked on some big films that have uh, been um, some of my most nightmare experiences, and then worked on lower films with the same and everything in between. You know, yeah, working with some even working with some of my idols, I've been like the least one of my least favorite experiences as opposed oh. to working with you know. Uh, lower budget without any um, uh, any real name talent it has been some of the most amazing experiences so yeah but, uh, yeah, yeah but uh hey yeah i want to give a, a shout out to a couple of people before we uh before we wrap it up sure sure yeah i want to give a shout out to uh marcel waltz joe netter and sarah french who just wrapped up a movie called that's a rap it's a slasher okay. film uh, uh i kind of i kind of think of it as the young and the restless with a slasher theme sweet yeah and uh, i'm on board uh, for that <laughs> yeah it's 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 gonna be a really cool fun film and i had the honor and privilege of uh of doing all the special effects for that amazing oh, cool. all-star cast of course monique parents in it and a whole bunch of amazing other people jed rowan that plays pretty boy in the slasher movie pretty boy that hopefully will be coming out this halloween okay uh, who also did the special effects for i also have the movie premiere and opening of a movie that I am the lead actor in. I became a lead actor in films now. Uh-huh. A movie titled Appetite for Sin, which is a vampire movie directed okay. by uh, Matthew Vanaha and produced by Joseph Kelly. And it stars so many of our favorite uh, actors. Uh, we have Eileen Deet is in it from The Exorcist. Yes. Ari Lemon from Friday the 13th. We have uh, Linnaeus Quigley's in it. And of course, I'm in it. So, uh, and I get to do all the gore and special effects for that film as well. Cool. Uh, then there's a new movie that's coming out. Uh, it's already making its uh, festival rounds right now. It's called The Beast Comes at Midnight. And it's from Showtown cool. American Pictures down in um, Florida. And it's produced by Todd Oifer and Mike McKeever and uh, directed by Christopher Jackson, a very talented uh, young new director. And uh, it's a werewolf film. I, got, I get to be the werewolf and the man that turns into the werewolf in the film. I'm the lead villain in the movie, and that's coming out now. And uh, of course, uh, Terror Tunes Part Four, which okay. is a franchise that my partner, yeah. my husband, Stephen Escobar, and I own. And we're going to have the world premiere this November in uh, North Hollywood, California. If you're in town, come check it out. It's open cool. to the public. And uh, like I said, that'll be November the 11th in North Hollywood, California. Cool. And there's a whole list of other ones. We've got the Mutilator. Yeah, I, two. I, Mutilator I mean, Two coming. And... I wanted to ask about Mutilator Two. The Mutilator is like I think it was called Fall Break originally. One of those weird little incredible films. One of the most gnarly kills I've ever seen in any slasher ever is in Mutilator. So is Mutilator Two going to carry on the uh, the gross out disgust factor for all of us? Yes. That's Yay! All I'm say. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and the the hook. The hook that, that goes through the girl, the gaff hook. yeah, the the, ga- the gaff is going to be is in this one as well, awesome. and it's the actual gaff from the original. Film. From the original, wow! Yeah, I, I got I got to take some good pictures with it too, and uh, I got. I'm to, shocked uh, they yeah, knew where yeah. it was. That's yeah. great. Oh no, uh, the, <laughs> cool. the, 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 there was a there was a, like an axe from the first film, like a battle axe mm-hmm. that he decapitates someone with, I think, or yeah, or, yeah. or something like that. And um, that 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 I know that prop was was stolen. Okay. The original film. Someone's or said that prop is nowhere to be. I don't know if stolen is the right word, but right. that prop is nowhere to be found. And then, so I had to reproduce that one. And then, um, th- but they do have the original gaff, and I, cool. uh, um, I was able to, to I had, I had to make uh, the duplicates of that for some for a gag in the film. And I know that <laughs> Bud doesn't want me to talk about any of the details of it. Okay, but uh, it does have amazing aquatic 
you know, tool themed deaths in it. That's all I'm gonna okay. say. Okay. I, right. I can say I think I could say that. That was kind of the theme of the first one too. And I think we're gonna get like but if we get even more of it in this one. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I hope uh, I hope I didn't I hope I didn't upset him by saying that. But uh, it's a, a fun script. If you if you find out you, he does if he's upset, let we're me gonna know. Be and I'll okay. cut it. I think we're I'll gonna be okay. It. It's, <laughs> an, it's an aquatic themed film, and yeah, it's gonna be okay. it's gonna be some cool fun stuff. So I think we'll be okay. Um, I was just gonna throw a couple names at you, people you worked with. One of them, Martin Cohen. Uh, you worked with pretty early on. Um, he I he wrote wrote directed the Rebel Rousers. That was his only movie that he directed. I'm fascinated with him. Um, you guys worked together on the humanoids from the deep, okay. Uh, TV movie. Um, I don't know how much interaction you may have had with him as a producer, he was a producer and got the writing credit, of course. Yeah, I, I, what I did with that film was I was only a shot monkey on that, on okay. That shoot, okay. And I, I did the the nest that the girls were in, okay, at the end on the beach. That's what yeah. I built, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. And I helped with the uh, um, you know, I was on set with the uh, with the with the with the um. The sea monster suit, and mm-hmm. I, I they, they had me fill in all the pieces and parts, you know. And of course, they had all this, they had this suit. Especially, this is the thing with special effects arts. You got these great special effects arts, right? Everybody's uh-huh. amazing. It's talented sculptor, painter, mold maker, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to actually putting it together and putting it in front of the camera, most special effects artists have no idea how to do that. They don't realize the mask has to look good from all three different angles. Right. You, you don't you want to, to see the to neck sticking out yeah. through you, the... <laughs> you, you got to be able to take it off on and off quickly. Do you have the power yeah. to put it on? Can the person breathe in it? Can they see correctly? Mm-hmm. You know, this, these kind of things that affects artists don't really think about. Yeah. So me, my my area, I come in and I put the whole thing together. They had the arm, they had the leg, they had the, the this, the head. They didn't even have a neck from where the neck went through the, the head. You know, I had to build this stuff to put it together. Yeah. So I kind of like... Yeah hold the whole like there's a picture of me working on the the wishmaster gin suits i oh, cool. the, they had all these pieces and parts but they didn't have a suit that okay they didn't i put that I, I i i fabricated put all that all that stuff together for them like yeah. you know one of the team players said i want the muscles to have a translucent look so we're going to make them out of this material joe and mm-hmm. why don't y'all go over there and sculpt some chest pieces for the front of the suit and i'm going to have Jordu over here make a monster mask for the thing but oh, cool. ultimately, you can't you, you you can't go to set with all these little pieces and expect to to have a have a creature suit. So yeah, right. always, yeah, put it all together for them. And uh, uh, but yeah, so my my interaction was uh, with the human mainly with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, we've talked about so many of them. I wanted to talk to you about Brink and Herschel and and Dick Miller, of course. Um, Linnea Quigley, I have to ask about her. She's such a legend. I yes, mean, yes. she's Linnea. She's Linnea. That's yeah. all you can say. Yeah. She's in Terror Tunes 4 as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Her, Debbie Rashawn, Bring Stevens, Billy Butler, and uh, somebody else in there. I forget who. You're going to hate I'd me. I'd have to pull, I'd have to pull yeah, it yeah, up. I, don't even, I can't well, remember. I've been making that, we've been making that movie for 10 years. Okay. So, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, lot, a long list of of, of name name talent in that. Yeah. Debbie's uh, great. It, we I had, I had, she was my second guest on this show, and she's just even, awesome. She's even, amazing. Em- are you, are you familiar with Emily Booth from yeah. the UK? Yeah, even Emily Booth. Yeah. Even Emily Booth is in Terrorism Four. Okay, so, cool. Yeah, so I got, we got, we got Very everybody. Cool. Yeah, we got everybody. You know who 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 uh, uh, most people don't realize I worked with. Uh, well, Michael Berryman, he's still around. Yeah, so yep. I worked with him on Anthony Green Pies, but mm-hmm. I also had a chance to work with Karen Black. And this is this was nineteen ninety 
91, I want to say, or 92. Holy maybe cow. 1990, 1990, 91. And, you know, at the time, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't couldn't take selfies. Yeah. Didn't really think about it. You know, at the time, the pictures were going to be that important. But it would have been great to have been able to. Oh, I worked with Pat Morita on that film, too. From oh, man. Case. How Pat cool. Yeah, Pat Morita. He went by the, the hip nip back in the days when he was a stand-up. That was his yeah. stand-up name. Yeah. Fascinating guy. Yeah. Pat Morita and um, Karen Black and uh, wow. Michael Berman, they were all amazing people to work with. Yeah. I can imagine. Uh, uh, you have, you've lived three lives here in the first half of your life, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I got, um, like I said, I got 40 more years left. I want to be <laughs> 98 years old and the kids can come pick me up and take me to set. I'll take my little makeup kit. So special effects kid, I'll put some makeup on. Yeah, like, you know, 9 30, 10 a.m. I'll be awake and ready to do that. And then 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 we can do the effect and then we can have lunch and they can take pictures and then they can drive me home so I can have my afternoon nap. Perfect. That if sounds I, like life. If I, if I get there, I'll be just fine. I'll be just fine. <laughs> you want to let everybody know if they if you want to make a movie, hit me up on Facebook. I'm there every day. Uh send me a message, uh, send me a friend request. Uh, it's cool. uh, facebook.com backslash joe.castro or hit me up on Instagram. It's uh, joe underscore Castro underscore director. Cool. Yeah, let's make let's make a movie. I'll put links for all those things, including your own website on um, the podcast when I put it up. So that'll be available for folks when they see it. Joe, thank you so much. This has been a joy. I've really thank enjoyed you. talking to you. Thank you, John, for having Thanks. me. Thanks. You bet. I appreciate that very much. There you go. Joe Castro. <laughs> I'm just... I just loved talking to him. I loved hearing his stories, hearing the excitement behind his voice about the people he got to meet. Um, I mean, how many of us could say we hung out with Herschel Gordon Lewis and Karen Black? Uh, Joe's one of a handful who gets to say that. Hey guys, uh, you know what? Thanksgiving's coming up. I'm sure the holiday's coming up too. You wanna get out there with your friends, hang out, have a good time. Please do that, but please take care of your servers because at the Walter Paisley Movie House, we do not piss on hospitality. Till next time, kids.